Distilled is a production of Chemical Processing. Chemical Processing focuses on serving engineers, designing and operating plants in the chemical industry. Welcome to the Solution Spotlight edition of our Chemical Processing Distilled podcast. Solution Spotlight, delving deeper into a topic from an industry perspective. I'm Tracy Purdom, Executive Digital Editor of Chemical Processing, and today we are going to discuss how to access insights to drive reliability improvement from your CMMS data. Utilizing maintenance data to make key business decisions results in improved equipment reliability, optimized costs, and improved safety and environmental impacts. However, there are many challenges due to a lack of know-how, resources, and data quality issues. Joining me to help address those challenges is Manjish Naik, a subject matter expert and project manager at GE Digital. He has worked with several processing plants in the oil and gas, power and chemicals markets. His expertise lies in asset performance benchmarking and standardizing data across different maintenance management systems to identify bad actors, perform manufacturing comparisons, identify the most optimal asset strategy, perform proactive maintenance optimization, and eliminate chronic failures. Thanks for joining, Manjish. Hey, it's great to be here, Tracy. Thank you so much. Uh, Well, I guess the first question out of the gate that I want to ask you is what's the best way to focus reliability initiatives and how can facilities take advantage of the data they already have? Oh, that's a great question, great way to start off. So I think it's really important to tie your reliability improvements with your business goals and reliability initiatives. And and what I mean by that is, you know, many times what happens is uh, we have a target, a very high-level target of we want to save, let's say, like $5 million in terms of maintenance costs. We want to increase uptime by X percent, we want to increase our availability of the assets. So those are very high level goals and it's like almost every facility that I've talked to, they have those kinds of goals. And it's really great to have that as our guiding compass, right? But really at the end of the day, how are you going to achieve that? And, and that's where the reliability initiatives need to come in. And, and where do we begin? And that's, that's the problem that many companies struggle with today. To, to really understand how do I take that high-level goal and implement an action plan at the asset level, not, not just at the facility level or the unit level, but actually go down to the asset level and understand where to focus, which assets to look at, which assets really need the improvement. And I think that's where the, the benchmarking aspect of, of reliability analytics and reliability metrics really come into, comes handy. Right? So I, I have... I've been working as a project manager recently. I, I moved into product management for a product called Asset Answers at, at GE Digital. And what we have been doing is over the past decade or so, we've been collecting maintenance work history information from, uh, I would say, hundreds of companies. Uh, it's, it's somewhere around like a 1,000 sites, 1,000 manufacturing plants uh, in, in the chemical, oil and gas, and, and uh, power space, right? And what we have been doing is we have been creating this benchmarking database, and, and that helps companies. It's like their guiding compass, right? So it helps them, okay, this is our, like we need to save $5 million, and this is how we are going to do it, right? So that part, the second part is, is what uh, the product asset answers from Geo Digital really 
helps customers understand. And, and I'll get into how we do that, right? So, so we look at benchmarking information uh, for similar manufacturing facilities, and we understand the opportunity that they have in terms of saving uh, dollars, right? And, and this could be for, for any specific type of equipment, uh, centrifugal pumps or AC motors or, or any other equipment. And basically what that benchmarking does, it, it tells you where you are today in terms of specific asset-related metrics, right? not just from a high-level view. And uh, what is the opportunity that's out there? So what are other similar manufacturing plants doing? Where are they at and what is the best in class? So that tells you, you know, first of all, whether that goal is realistic or not. And secondly, it tells you where to focus. So if we need to get find $5 million in, in that year, where do we focus? Which assets are really the ones that are going to be key uh, and give us the biggest bang for our buck? So that's where the data that the facilities have, which is what the second part of your question, that's where the data comes in. It, it's, it, it's very important that we utilize this data that is available in the CMMS system to generate these metrics and, and analytics. Now, is there a high level that you can go at? So if I'm in the facility and I have my $5 million goal, do I have to wade through that benchmarking data and look at my pumps, look at different things, or are there high-level things that um, rise to the top where, where they can say, oh, I bet you if I start here, I can really get a big chunk of my $5 million? Do you understand where I'm going with that? Absolutely. Yep, yep. And, and that's what we do, right? So what we do is we have a metric or we have a value called potential savings. And these are like potential annual savings. And this is a very simple calculation, right? It's not like we are going through a whole bunch of statistics and predicting a whole bunch of things. It's really as simple as this is where you are today. This is where the benchmark is today. And if you need to get to the benchmark and, and cover that gap, what is the potential annual savings that you can get if you cover that gap? And, and when you look at that and sort it in a descending order, you get your top equipment types and your top assets where you have the biggest opportunity. So you really don't have to wade through a lot of data to do that. It's more that you know we, we have built this system and this product that does all that heavy lifting. And a lot of the benchmarking relies on standardization of the data. So we, we do all that heavy lifting where we are comparing apples with apples. And obviously, we don't measure analytics for analytics' sake. That's silly. Mm -hmm. But can you can you address those angles? Oh, that's that's really good. So so this is what I say to that, right? So again, like going back to what I said before, the business goals are really important, and the asset level or the the detailed like the devil is in the details, right? So those detailed business goals are really important. So at that point, we need to understand what are the analytics we need to measure progress towards those business goals. Because like I said, we don't want to just brag or say that, yeah, I'm doing 50 metrics. The question should be, okay, you're doing 50 metrics, that's great, but how are you utilizing those metrics? Are you measuring progress towards a business goal? Are you using those metrics to understand what your business goal should be? I mean, business goal can just be a high-level one that I want to save uh, X amount of dollars, but then is that a realistic goal? And that's what your analytics are going to tell you. So you need to focus, laser focus, I would say, on, on those metrics and analytics that will help you understand where you are in terms of those business goals and then 
on an ongoing basis, keep tracking the progress and, and see if you're covering that gap and getting to the goal. Of. Now, data quality is an issue. How can you avoid mm -hmm. uh, those types of traps, the garbage in, garbage out, where, where you're just having nonsense? Almost, uh, not almost, actually, I will say very confidently, every single customer that I've talked to in the, these three verticals that I mentioned, everybody has data quality problems, right? And, and that's naturally going to happen because this data is being entered by humans and, and there is a big cultural barrier, right? The, the question of how am I using this data, is somebody even looking at it, is this data being used somewhere or am I just being asked to do this and it's an administrative burden on me? So because of those kinds of questions, there is a, there is a big, I would say, uh, uh, like a, a disconnect between how the data gets used and whoever is putting in the data doesn't see that. So because of that, data quality issues are just rampant and they are everywhere and that happens. But to that, I would say that, I mean, if you have good data, I mean, if you have bad data, you have good data. Right? So it's really important to first understand where you have uh, data that requires improvement and where you have data that is, is good quality and can be used right away. And, and that's where the data quality measurement comes into the picture, right? So we have like I wouldn't say that like everybody has data quality problems, but everybody also has good usable data in their plant that they can start right away. So that's where I would recommend a parallel path approach where first you measure the data, and the, this is again the data that is required to calculate those metrics that we discussed before that are again measuring your business goal progress. So what is the data required to calculate those metrics? Measure the, the quality of that data and understand the areas of good data versus bad data. And then the good data areas start using that already, start making decisions on that data, on those metrics that use the data, uh, whereas the areas that require improvement or the, the, the areas that have data quality issues, you can start improving it as a parallel path. You really don't want to wait till your data gets perfect because honestly the data is never going to get perfect. That's never going to happen. Really what you want to do is start utilizing what you have and then improve the, the data quality for this. And there are various ways of improving it, right? So let me also talk about that a little bit here since you brought uh, data quality up. So, so there are two ways I would recommend of improving the data quality. One is the future data that is going to go into the CMMS later on sometime in the future. So the way you do that is you have to change the culture, as I mentioned. So first make sure that people understand how the data is being used and why it is important to capture that data. And then secondly, think about your people, process, and technology. Right? So people aspect, train the people, make sure they understand what data is required. And again, don't boil the ocean with the data. Don't make them collect hundreds of fields. That doesn't make any sense. Be laser focused on the metrics that you are looking at and the data needed for those metrics. So that's the people aspect. Processes, you want to put in place uh, accountability and governance in a way that Certain fields are required and they cannot be, the work order cannot be closed out without those fields going in. So, so implement a nice process of defining what data is required and how to put that data and, and what is the, the specific data elements that are required in there, in those fields. And then finally, the technology aspect, right? This is where you can really, I've seen people go really crazy on this side, right? So in the CMMS, they implement all these bells and whistles all those business rules that say that that field is there and this cannot be like that. So all those logical consistency business rules that they put in place. And really that can help you 
understand how better to collect the data. Because a lot of the times what happens is people are trying to pick something from a list, right? some value, like a failure mode, for example. And you might see a big, long list of things which may not apply to what you're trying to do. So you may pick it, like you might just say, I don't know what this is, and people almost always click other and unknown. Unknown is, well, I don't know yet, I haven't figured it out, I'll do that later, and the later never happens. Or other is that I cannot find this value in the list. So you really need to build that technology and CMMS in a way that those failure modes and whatever pick list items you have are very specific to the kinds of failures and kinds of repairs you are going to see in the plant and make sure that those get filled out. So if I'm understanding this correctly, it, it helps to fail safe the other and unknown with with what you're putting in there. Is that is that correct? So that they can't just pick other and then move on. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And also making the, the pick list very specific, right? Like you don't just want some generic items like asset failed, pump failed, pump fixed, right? You don't mm-hmm. want those kinds mm-hmm. of things in, in that. So make those failure modes very specific. And, and that was about the future data quality, right? The, the past data quality or the historical data that we already have, that can be mined by like, like all these description fields that we are talking about, right, where people are adding things, like adding notes, saying this is what, like I went to the asset, I found this, the, the pump failed, the seal was leaking, like and any of those number of things that people write down in the text fields. So there are text mining algorithms and there has been a lot of work being done in that field today. And it, it is called natural language processing, that's like the big branch. And the specific branch is called the technical language processing or TLP. That's where uh, people are building these text mining algorithms that tag specific uh, keywords inside those descriptions and they understand what the failure mode was or what the maintainable item was. So for example, the seal was leaking, then seal is going to be our maintainable item or the component of the asset that failed and leakage or leakage caused by corrosion or whatever the reason was would be our failure mechanism or failure mode. So in that case, like you really have the power of these text mining algorithms to go and mine that historical data and fill some of those blanks that were left on the work orders. So that's how you can address the historical data. And then finally, like we have to keep sustaining these improvements. So there has to be some sort of governance and feedback in place so that you keep sustaining whatever progress you have made in improving data quality. And you, you brought up a good point. You need to get the people buy-in. You need to let them understand mm-hmm. the big picture, and this obviously helps them do that so that they can understand they're not just checking a list, tick it and flick it. They are actually mm-hmm. helping. Um, so it, it puts them, you know, puts some power into their, into their work. Um, but you also pointed out that you don't want to have them doing hundreds of of these mm-hmm. types of assessments. So are there some telltale metrics that can prove mm-hmm. ROI and proactive maintenance activities? Yeah, so again, like on this part, I would say that focus on asset level metrics because there are many high level metrics. But more importantly, what data do you have and what data is required? Uh, it's important to focus on the metrics that uh, can be calculated in a systematic way. Right? You don't want to sit down with a spreadsheet and spend hours and hours and hours trying to calculate metrics. Uh, and I have seen people do that. Like some, like it's a full-time job 
of some people where they have to generate a quarterly report with these metrics and they wrestle with these massive spreadsheets and try to, to build that. So there are much better ways of doing that, which is using a systematic way than using technology. So at, at, uh, in Asset Answers, we, we calculate some metrics out of the box. And really what we've identified is there are, I mean, there are, if, if I actually count all the metrics that people have published out there, the number can easily be 100 to 120. And you really don't want to do so many. So what I recommend is uh, focus on proactive work, reactive work, and corrective work distributions in terms of cost and count. So those are some really important areas because that, that really tells you what is going on in your plant, right? Am I being reactive? Am I getting a lot of emergency type failures that weren't planned? Uh, or am I being more on the proactive side of things? So it's really important to, to get those. Uh, the meantime between failures is a very typical metric that everybody looks at, but a lot of the times the data is not there to calculate that metric. So instead what we recommend is do mean time between the repairs which is just finding the frequency of all your repairs, how frequently you're doing repairs on your assets. The other important one is mean time to repair, so how much time on an average you take to repair your assets. And then PM effectiveness or proactive maintenance effectiveness is another good one, which tells you out of all your repairs, what percent of repairs were identified through proactive means. So either by condition-based monitoring or an operator went out there and he found some problems. So that is a really good one because that tells you whether, again, like you're being proactive or reactive, but also whatever proactive technologies and proactive tasks you're doing, are they really effective or not? So, so that's, that's a really good one. Um, and then downtime is, is an important metric. More often than not, it's going to be tracked at the uh, plant level or unit level. So at the asset level, it just makes sense to track the asset downtime. So when the asset was actually unavailable was not in service. And all of this can actually be, like all of the metrics I mentioned, you can actually calculate them with about 30 to 40 fields in the CMMS. And that's the standard data that is available in all CMMS. You don't have to like build new fields or anything like that, which is the more important part, right? So this is like standard fields that are available on the equipment worksheet as well as the work orders and notifications. Now, listening to to what you just said, I'm thinking in my head, so it, these work in tandem. So if you have more proactive maintenance, you should, by theory, have lower, lower downtime numbers. Is that correct? And uh, the second part of that is, is how can facilities tell if their maintenance initiatives are working? Is that, uh, it, mm -hmm. it seems like a simple question, but it's not. No, it's not. So you might think, right, that, uh, I'm doing more proactive maintenance. It should be great now, right? I don't have any uh, repairs anymore. But actually, that's not true, right? Uh, so we have a proactive maintenance effectiveness module inside Asset Answers. And what we do in that is we, we so it's like a plot, right? And I'm kind of describing a chart, so pardon me because pictures speak uh, <laughs> a thousand words. So I'm going to speak thousand words now to describe that picture because we are audio only. <laughs> But, but this is really important because I think what you said is, is typically the, I guess, the misconception. So I want to address that. So basically we have a chart where we are looking at X versus Y axis. It's a bubble chart. On the Y axis, we have reactive work, which is all your emergency and unplanned failures. On the X axis, we have all the proactive work, which is your 
preventive, predictive condition based, all, all those good things that you're doing out there. And what we're doing is we are plotting for each asset, we are plotting the proactive work versus the reactive work count. And this is a count of the work orders. And then we get the benchmark and we, we graph the benchmark as an axis and it breaks it down into four quadrants, basically, this, this whole chart. So the top quadrant that we see, the top left quadrant, I should say, we see is where, where I'm doing a lot of, um, sorry, I'm not doing any proactive work and the assets are failing a lot. So that's what we call as the run to failure kind of strategy. Right. And that's where, like, the question is, does that make sense to have a run-to-failure strategy there, or should we put some proactive maintenance in place? The the bottom right quadrant is where I'm doing way too many PMs, and like proactive maintenance work orders, and I'm not getting any reactive work orders. So in that case, am I doing way too much? Am I over-maintaining my assets? Do I need to bring or optimize some of those? proactive maintenance tasks because there could be overlapping tasks that I'm doing in the monthly, yearly, all that. There could be some uh, tasks that are really not required, but someone said, hey, we need to do this, so we are doing it. So really, is, is that required or can we bring some of that? Because we are not getting any reactive or unplanned failures. So too much of that is also not a good thing. And then there is the worst one, right, which is I'm doing a lot of proactive work and I'm still getting a lot of reactive failures. And those are really your killers, right? Because you're spending so much time and so much effort in doing proactive work, but really it's not effective. Uh, and the reason for that might be you're not addressing the right failure modes. So we have various different failure modes. Maybe I'm doing a lot on one specific failure mode, but I like two or three of them are just slipping through the cracks. And those are where I'm getting all the unplanned failures. So that's where you really need to sit down and, and we classify it into these three groups so that you can take these action items I mentioned. And it all goes back to the strategy, right? And that's where RCM, uh, FMEA, all, all, all those good tools help you to understand what are the failure modes. And you don't want an exhaustive list of failure modes because, again, you're not going to address every single one of them because I, I've seen some of these uh, FMEA templates and they can be as long as, 200, 300 failure modes on each asset. It's very exhaustive. But again, we have to be laser focused, right? Because I can't put a single, like every single failure mode, I can't put a check against it. So that's where the benchmarking and historical failure data comes in, where you can see this is how the asset has been failing in the past. These are the most dominant failure modes. So let's put checks against those and, and uh, really make, make those proactive uh, work orders more effective. So that's like a really good way of looking at whether the, the proactive maintenance initiatives are working. The second part of that puzzle is the metrics, right? So keep looking at the metrics. Is the performance of the metrics improving? Are we closing that gap between us and the peer or us and the target goal that we had in mind? So start looking at that. And that's where all those dashboards which are going to track these metrics in a systematic way over time those will really help you looking at those dashboards and understanding the performance changes. Manjish, do you have anything to add that we maybe didn't touch on that you think is important on this topic? Yeah, so one of the other things that I really wanted to talk about was, so I mentioned benchmarking a lot, uh, but I, I think it's really important to have that feedback, right? And I spoke to that a little bit, but uh, what, what we call is, uh, what we call that is improvement tracker, right? So I made some sort of improvement on my asset, 
I need to track that improvement, uh, and I need to really see whether it is doing what I hoped it would do. So at the end of the day, I built a business case. I made a, a justification for why I'm going to go and improve that asset. Have I realized those the return on investment that I was hoping I would get? And that is the the feedback loop. Right? That is actually the last piece of the puzzle because that tells you whether whatever improvements you have made are effective or not. And you can do that in two different ways. Right? You can see whether, like in some cases, it might the cost might be the easiest thing. Right? Has the cost gone down? Has the production downtime and production losses have they gone down? Uh, but the other piece which often gets ignored are the chronic failures. And chronic failures are the ones where I'm. I have the same failure mode over and over and over and over again. Like at, at one of these facilities, we saw a coalescer uh, pressure vessel which, which had a, a filter that kept getting plugged because they were like passing like a lot of sticky stuff through it. So it get, kept getting plugged over and over and over again. And they kept buying new filters and they were literally changing out filters every three days. It was that bad. Sometimes it was every day. And, and what ended up happening was before they realized they had already spent $600,000 on that asset in, in a year. Because these are not like the tiny HVAC filters that we have at home, right? These are expensive filters. So, so they kept spending so much money and plus the production downtime to bring the machine down, put the filter in, all of that. These chronic failures are often ignored and if that's the way things are done. But it's, it's really important to address those as well. And in the improvement tracker, we also have a frequency tracking, right? Meaning like is the frequency of that going down or going up? And also the, the last piece of, of that improvement tracker is are there new failure modes that have now come into the picture? Because I addressed a specific failure mode. I put an improvement in place and that one is working great, but did I cause problems somewhere else now? So addre addressing that part uh, as well as important. So to, to complete that feedback loop, we really need to do the improvement tracking. Well, Manjish, you have eloquently painted many pictures for us here. I appreciate uh, the insight on this very big and often neglected aspect within many processing plants. On behalf of Manjish, thank you for listening. I'm Tracy Purdom, and this is Solution Spotlight. <laughs>